turn your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Say what? Nothing. Say what? <laughs> say what? <laughs> what I say? This is school, <laughs> Take a shot. Nature Brothers and sisters, welcome to Penn Sunday School. My name is Matt Donnelly. We are broadcasting from Show Creator Studio South here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this week, Penn is back in town. He is performing without his lifelong partner. He also just got back from London, where he is putting up another show with a magic that goes wrong, play that goes wrong with magic. <laughs> Penn will tell you the accurate name of that title. Starting right now, here he is preaching love. I'm Friends preaching love. love. I am preaching love, Matt Donnelly. That was really, <laughs> yeah. even even when you're competing with Godot, yeah. that was piss poor. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really the tough part. I know he's not great at it, and I know that I'm worse than him. This is the hard <laughs> the hard thing about being a co-host of this show. Yeah, yeah. It's really yeah, hard. He's really not good. <laughs> and then when you fill in for him, you're yeah. worse. Yeah. Yeah, it's... He set the bar so low, and you stumble over it. And I do intros for other shows, and it goes well. I yeah. just, there's just something about this it's one. It's a hard one. It's never going to. It's never going to. hard one. It's just, I mean, it's been like six years. It's not going to click, I don't think. <laughs> and we also don't ever stay on the topic. No. We don't ever. The introduction is absolutely useless. Yeah, it is like a, a, a suggestion on a crumpled up piece of paper. <laughs> just, we might get to But you to don't it. remember. Yeah. You know, Lauren Michaels, producer of Saturday Night Live, told me that the first few years of Saturday Night Live, the writers were uh, mentally destroyed. Oh, yeah. And he said that uh, they had nothing left after the first show, and they were locked in rooms to try to finish shows and couldn't do it. Yeah. He said the most pathetic moment he remembers from that was a writer sitting in a room, reaching into his shirt pocket, pulling it out and saying, this piece of paper says can of paint i don't know whether i have a bit for a can of paint if i was supposed to buy a can of paint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean it took that show i think 20 years before they realized they should never do more than three in a row <laughs> that's what they do now they do three in a row they do they, most they'll do is three in a row i watched the first episode of Saturday yeah. Night Live with George Carlin as host. Right. I did not care for it. I was going to say- I have not watched it since. According to everyone, it was like earth shattering. Like, oh my gosh, nothing like this has ever been on television. Well, there's a difference. There's a difference in that I saw Lemmings. Right. Okay. So I went, uh, Lemmings was a, a show that was a parody of Woodstock. Right. We are Lemmings. We are crazy. We will feed our fire flower power pushing daisies yeah that was their woodstock song by the time we got we are lemmings we are crazy we will feed our flower power pushing daisies and that had belushi yeah and chevy chase and uh, i think uh brian doyle murray bill murray's brother somebody else that i'm now forgetting not Aykroyd, but one of those guys maybe it was Aykroyd. yeah and that uh, wasn't Aykroyd. 
and they were uh, they were really good. And it was written by Michael O'Donohue, who was going to be one of the uh, and your uh, head writer, right? Yeah, he, he was going to be head writer of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, and it was really, really, really great. And uh, I talked with them afterwards. I met Chevy and I met John Belushi. I was whatever I was. I'm younger than them, so I was 18, I guess, just turned 18. And I was in New York City for the first time. I mean, all my own. I guess I'd been there once with my parents, and that was when I had this incredible experience. I got to New York. And I went to a phone booth right? way back then. This is probably 73, okay? Yeah. I went to a phone booth, and I wanted to know how to get uh, tickets for Lemmings. I was a big National Lampoon fan, and I knew that they were doing this Woodstock parody. Yeah. And I wanted to see it. I had no money. I was hitchhiking, but I, I'd saved up from street performing and something, whatever I had, an enormous amount of money, like $30 in my pack from not eating and stuff. And I was going to use that to buy a ticket to Lemmings. But I didn't know how to get to Lemmings. I didn't know how shows worked. You know, I'm yeah. from a small town. <laughs> I barely knew how money worked. You know, we mostly traded goats. Yeah. So I looked up National Lampoon in the phone book, in the phone booth in New York City. I called National Lampoon and the phone was answered, Donnie. <laughs> That's crazy. And I said, what, 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 what? And he said, uh, Michael Adani. I said, this, this actually, I mean, this was probably the first famous person I'd ever talked to. And he was an idol of mine, still the person I consider to be perhaps the best writer of the 20th century, certainly right. in comedy. I fell to pieces and then said, how do I, how do I get tickets to Lemmings? He said, how the fuck would I know? I don't know, box office or something, Bye. <laughs> and that was my first uh, then I went to see it it was an incredible show incredible yeah. and so powerful and so wonderful and um, that idea of those kind of well thought out well written sketches you know yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. were uh, it, it, one idea going through it one theme uh, strong characters um, uh, it wasn't O'Donnell it was the, the other guy the English guy that wrote it and um and the great John Lennon thing, you know, uh, genius is pain. Ah, that one, you know, <laughs> which is so funny. Uh, they grab my hair and spill beer on me, you know. Yeah. Because Chevy Chase is playing the part of a biker yeah. who touched my bike and he was doing audience work, but his audience work was not, hi, where you from, it was pulling people's hair and spinning on them. And I was <laughs> the one he chose, uh, being big, yeah. and having wicked long hair. And I loved him and loved it. And I really thought that comedy, you know, was National Lampoon and Lemmings and Lenny Bruce and George Carlin. And it was all like over the top. And then I guess 20% of that coming into regular television was a really, really big deal. But at 18 years old, it was like trying to explain to me that, um, oh, this is a nice version of the Sex Pistols. We've taken out the dirty words and cleaned it up a little bit. And it was like, what are you doing? We want to go the other way. Yeah. We want stuff to be more intense and more crazy. Yeah. You know, what's funny is that like things going in cycles, right? Because I'm relating to this in a lot of ways with my own life. Like in the 90s and early 2000s, Uprights' this Brigades moved to New York. Mm -hmm. The whole like alternative scene, Mark Maron's hosting these all, all, yeah. all comedy scenes. Yeah. And it's funny, my wife is a huge fan of Molly Shannon, loves Molly Shannon from SNL. And she brings up sketches in front of me and my friends uh, who were doing comedy at that time all the time. <gasps> we all don't know what she's talking about because 
we considered SNL to be so lame then that mm-hmm. none of us were watching it. And then all of our friends were doing all this new hip shit mm-hmm. and getting on peaking, little peaks of television here and then we thought it was so cool. Then I remember tuning in to watch the season premiere of Upper Hitsis Brigade on Comedy Central mm-hmm. and being so disappointed yeah. at the comedy that I loved that I saw them do every week wasn't translating to television in a way that I that I thought it would. And that you know, I it's, thought, it, like, all this is perfectly valid. I mean, yeah. that live is terrific and great and wonderful. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Just not for me. Right. I'm yeah, not yeah. the guy they're writing for. That's yeah. all. Not, not, you know, really not the guy I'm writing for. It started out that I was not uh, smoking marijuana enough. Right. And I was not. Uh, still your problem. Still your still problem. Still my problem. Yeah. And uh, now it turns out that I'm simply out of the age group they're going for. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that different reasons. Although I don't know. I haven't watched it. It might be fabulous. My wife and you know, I still That watch happens it. to me a lot. <laughs> that I that I don't like something because I've never watched it, never seen it. Well, actually, that's because my wife and I watch just watch it. Just it's more like it's almost like watching a sports team at this point. Mm-hmm. We just always just end up watching SNL. And it's kind of because if you don't make it through the whole episode and go to sleep, who cares? Mm-hmm. So it's the kind of thing we just kind of watch from week to week. And what is interesting is is what you're talking about is there has been a return to sketches. Like outside of the political stuff, which for some reason is just reenactment with sarcasm. I don't understand why they get credit for being funny. Um, well, that's because MSNBC and the New York Times and Senate Live are all just blowing each other. They're all right. a circle jerk. Because if you just say, boy, Trump is awful. <laughs> so brave. Because <laughs> I keep watching going like, this isn't a sketch. This is just, they're just doing the thing that happened in the news, but then winking at it. Like mm-hmm. that's not, take... You got to put, you got to add something to make it a, I don't know. Anyway. Well, I do want to say. But outside of those things, they are doing a lot of sketches and not character pieces, which they used to be guilty of doing all the time. So I'm like, oh, and on the other hand, they're not getting enough credit for actually doing a lot of great sketches that they're doing that aren't political for the last two or three seasons. Yeah. uh, We were on, I mean, people debate when the best season of Saturday Night Live was, but no one debates the worst season. That was the season we were on. (laughs) (laughs) We were on every month. Yeah, and I think I was even in a sketch or two, but mostly we were just the uh, the Sam Kennison position. Obviously, when you say I think I was in a sketch or two, the answer to this question is probably already answered. Was it exciting? Were you excited to participate <laughs> in the sketch? Well, you know, there was a weird thing because we were we were in discussions about being cast members and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, it was very exciting, extremely mm-hmm. exciting. Uh, uh, Lauren Michaels is. Uh, I mean, we had we had never had no one even knew who we who we were right and all of a sudden we were talking to lauren michaels regularly and going into his office for meetings he was always late to by a lot we were you know we were on the floor with people that you know we'd heard about forever yeah and although we didn't watch saturday night live we were certainly aware of what a big deal it was yeah and uh we'd watch the stones on there you know the stones were on we watched that remember telling i saying, oh the stones are on and figuring out when it was going to be on and watching it you know and there were a few other other bands we wanted to see but uh and i think we watched andy kaufman when he was on yeah we knew that was important and we watched a couple of kennison things which is the standard stuff we didn't care much about and uh uh we were very excited to be on it also was huge huge for us i mean yeah. i don't mean to be i'm talking about my taste watching it you know being on it it's a job it was fabulous it was tremendous well that's us. also like one of the craziest things about it which is that even to this day, from the time I start to this day, there aren't many shows. You'd be like, hey, you, unknown or lesser known, we're, we're going to let you come on here and America's totally going to let you 
figure yourself out, fight for airtime, and see if you can become a big heavy hitter. That's true. And it does. And there's so there's no other shows that I mean, even reality shows pretend to do that. Most of them even don't do that. And for comedy, the reality shows don't do that at all. Mm. So it's really one of the only places you could really just be like, we all are in agreement. Like, hey, you unknown, get in there. I I remember when we were first on the very first show we did. Yeah, uh, there are people that thought that we were uh, we were characters of Franken and Davis. Oh, funny. That's funny, actually. <laughs> Frank and David have created this Penn and Teller magic team. We are somehow a Frank and, Frank and Davis sketch. I mean, there's never, there's, and then again, analogous wise, there's nothing, been, there's been nothing like you guys on SNL before or since, right? Because there've been comedians that come on, but they've never had any kind of variety. Nope. That just comes on, does their thing. We were on the worst season ever, and I guess they realized that. (laughs) Let's not do that. Let's not not do the bad stuff. This show can push boundaries, uh, except that one. Yeah, that boundary. That one's off. No, that's right off. Let's put that, let's build the wall. (laughs) I think about that. (laughs) Build the Variety Act wall. (laughs) Variety Act wall. And and we'll make uh, Lance Burton pay for it. Um, But uh, (laughs) I'm trying to, like... Of all the weird twists and turns, I always think like for you, like you, you know, the SNL thing, you could have taken a turn there, whatever. There's a lot of like weird opportunities you've had to like possibly not just commit to 45 years of, yeah. of working with your partner constantly. Uh, and I just the other day I had a thought, I was like, but the thing, I think the most, I think the, the only thing, <laughs> you know, if there's a God, he didn't give you an amazing singing voice. <laughs> If he had, this, I bet you would have. I bet you just would have been so content, like just trying to be Dylan playing coffee yes, shops. Yes. If I if I had more musical, that's all I've ever wanted was more musical talent, and I was blessed with not having it. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Because yeah, yeah. if I had musical talent, I'd be out competing with people who are so good. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. my lack of musical talent is the is the biggest gift I was given. <laughs> it's true. And, you know, I still how look how hard I work. Yeah, I work really hard to play bass and do all of that without talent. Yeah, you know, just brute force. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you know, t- Penn and Teller have always been uh, high on brute force and low on talent. That's always <laughs> that's always been. You know, it's we're we're the, it's the the absolute opposite of Letterman. Right. You know, Letterman just strolled into any scene he was in and was always the fastest, the funniest, and the most interesting. Yeah. We we never strolled into anything. Not the case. We fought our way through walls. People, <laughs> that wall that Lance Burton built of uh, variety arts and said that line. We fought our way through that. So, um, <laughs> but it, you know, lacking talent is a really, really good thing. Not as good as lacking looks. Lacking <laughs> looks is the best thing that can happen to somebody. Yeah. You know, if I had been wicked good looking. Yeah. You know, when I was like 25, yeah. when I got to be 35 and wasn't wicked good looking, yeah. I would have fallen apart. But not being good looking <laughs> ever <laughs> means you it's just. The same day for you every yeah, day. Same day, every day. <laughs> not talented, not good looking. Some people have to wake up in their 60s and realize that's true. <laughs> I've been living that. I am prepared for a lack of looks and a lack of talent. I, I have been totally, I have been practicing for this moment. I never realized how good I had it. Yeah, you really, really, yeah. If you're out there and you're talentless and you're ugly, count your blessings. Yeah, absolutely. Please do. Please do. You can yawn as your friends go through midlife crisis. Yeah, just go, hey, it's always been that for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's always been kind of sad and tired for me. There we go. So I was over in London. Yes. London, England. You know, London. Fish, chips, cup of tea, 
bad food, worse weather, Mary fucking Poppins, London. <laughs> That's from one of those uh, Guy Ritchie movies. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I really want to come up with one for Jersey. I came up with one for America. Oh, you did? Which I thought was really, really good. Yeah. After that, I would say to them, after I would say that to everybody over in London, I would say, I've got an American one too, which goes like this. Coca-Cola, hamburger, guns. Ugly, loud, fat. Clint fucking Eastwood. <laughs> America. America. <yeah. laughs> or Vegas, you could even say. Yeah, oh, yeah, Clint, yeah. I guess you'd say Wayne fucking Newton, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's yeah. pretty good. It is. Wayne fucking Newton is good. Vegas, yeah. Slots. <laughs> yeah. Slots, booze, lights. Wayne. Guns. Yeah, guns. No sleep, all food, buffets. Wayne fucking Newton, Vegas. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so I was over there doing this show, uh, Magic Goes Wrong. Yeah. And maybe we should talk in detail about uh, Magician's Guilt. Yes. Because it is an incredible thing. It is. It's an incredible thing that has such, such uh, implications for all of life. Yeah. We'll get to that in a moment. So I'm over there working on uh, Magic Goes Wrong, and because Teller's had his back operation, or he had not had it at that point when I first got over there, right. just getting it, the pressure was was uh, more than I usually have because uh, uh, Teller, a lot of the work that Teller does, I was having to do, and I had powered through the previews in Manchester. We needed Teller desperately. We didn't have him. Luckily, we had Ben Hart who's an incredible magician. He's a big star over there from um, Britain's Got Talent. Okay. Big star over there. A very, very good magician and a really good magic mind. Just genius. I had him. Big help. Mm -hmm. And the assistant assistant director, who uh, assistant director is different in theater than it is in, it's actually a director in, uh, in theater. Right. They're fabulous. And but I didn't have Teller. You know, I didn't have Teller to work out this stuff. And I've talked about this before. It was tough. Then I go back over to London. Now, we always thought, well, we didn't have Teller in Manchester. But in London, when the rehearsals are serious, when we're really putting the real show in the West End, we'll have Teller. And then, of course, two days before, we called him and said, you're not going to have Teller. Once again, you get the booby price. <laughs> um, so I was flying over. When did the breach of contract lawsuits begin? <laughs> exactly. Well, soon. <laughs> and uh, also, we were supposed to do all this press. Right. So all these, uh, we were going to do all these shows, you know, uh, the one show and all these shows that we've done before. And then we said, oh, by the way, it won't be Teller. And they said, well, there won't be a show then. There won't be, there won't be Penn and Teller. There won't be Penn. Yeah. There's not Teller. There won't be Penn. Forget their uh, television. Right. And then Jonathan Ross, who's a buddy, called back and said he'd have Penn alone. Yeah. Which I'm sure was him overriding the network. Yeah. And then Pierce Morgan called up and said, we'll have Penn alone, which who knows what that's about. Maybe he thought, maybe I can make him miserable by himself. <laughs> no, Pierce is actually good to me. After inter first interview I did with Pierce Morgan, the very first one, you know the first thing he said what? on air about me? I hate you and I hate your book. Those are the first public sentence Pierce Morgan ever said to me. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I And now- we kind of get along really well. How does that happen to me? I was, you know, one of the things, again, like, uh, uh, observe, being, being your podcast co-host, I get like a kind of bird's eye view or some kind of view into, <laughs> I'm not going to finish this metaphor. I get some kind of view into to showbiz life. I'm much more, you know, hands-on now at the Pith the Magic Dragon show, right? And one of the things that I think Piff is amazing at is he does not hold a grudge. Yeah. He does not hold a grudge. 
And so, like you just said, Piers Morgan and the the Jersey ire in me just mm-hmm. got you know angered as well right up because he was a prick to you mm-hmm. however many years ago when he took over for Larry King. A a I mean a world class one hour prick. Yeah, and now we get along well. <laughs> and that's like big is, pictures posing. It's part of show. It's part of showbiz, and it's it's a, it's a, it's a, it's something that I don't think people think about. Well, it's also part of show, it's certainly part of show for me and Piff. Yeah, for me and Piff, there's no grind for Teller. Yeah, uh, and with with Piff, it may be some sort of um, uh, magnanimous quality. With Teller and I, it's forgetfulness. You forget. We just don't remember who we're supposed to hate. <laughs> we have no idea. Glenn has to remind us. You know, you said you would never do an interview with this guy again, and both of you just said yes to him in an email. <laughs> oh, what did he say? Oh, da, 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 da. oh really? That's okay. It seems okay now. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I I am the one to fuck over. I tell people when I get to movie sets. Yeah. I tell the PAs and stuff. If you're going to fuck someone over on the set, pick me. <laughs> Cuz there won't be any complaints. I'll never go over your head. Spill coffee on me. Yeah. Put the wrong stuff in my dressing room. Yeah. Don't tell me what's going on. You'd be much better off. Take care of the other people. And by the way, if you have a problem with me, if you get to that level, <laughs> your life's over. <laughs> Give up. Because no one's ever done it. No one's ever got down to that level. Right. So if you can piss me off, you've got bigger problems. <laughs> but that's also true, you know? Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, Piff used to be better at holding grudges. Right. He really did. Yeah. He just he just lost that ability. Yeah. And Teller and I just don't fucking remember. It's just not worth it. Remembering bad things people said about you or to you, yeah. it just, there's no percentage in that. There's no upside to that. All you do is relive it. Yeah. You feel terrible. We completely forget it. As a matter of fact, when we read uh, as a gag at the uh, uh, Orlando uh, Genie Magic Convention, um, Teller had a guy read his really bad review of us as our introduction. <laughs> and I was back there not remembering a word of it. And more importantly, kind of agreeing with it. <laughs> you know, he said stuff about us being snotty and giving away this and yeah, not yeah. really. And I went, yeah, we kind of, we were kind of like that. Kind okay. Of a point. Yeah. You got a really good point. So I'm over there and we're working. So I get up at 6 a.m. and go on with Piers Morgan, but it's worse than that because the day before Glenn says, um, yeah, they'll have you on without Teller. And I go, oh, okay. And I've already been doing my sour grapes thing. You know, I believe sour grapes is the greatest thing in the world. You always make sure that either outcome you're happy with. Uh-huh. So I told myself if Pierce decides to have us have me on, then I will be happy because I'll be selling tickets to Magic Goes Wrong and doing my job. Yeah. If he doesn't have me on, ah, no Pierce Morgan. <laughs> um, so I can't lose. I can't lose. Right. So uh, Glenn and I are out having a, uh, a vegan falafel. They have good vegan food in London. Yeah. For lunch. And he says, oh, so we're doing Pierce Morgan tomorrow morning. So we'll, you know, pickups at 6 a.m. I go, oh, okay. You know, still jet lag, still fucked up, not sleeping, but cool. And they go, they want a trick. I go, oh, well, we didn't bring anything. He goes, uh, yeah, they got a minute. I go, a minute? A minute trick? A minute? <laughs> you know, you can't do a trick in a minute. No. So I sit down over my falafel and I invent a trick. I say, well, I can do that. And I finally say, well, how about this, Glenn? And I reach my pocket, pull that deck of cards, give him a shuffle. And then sitting across from Glenn, I do the trick. I go, what do you think of that? Glenn goes, that's pretty good. Where's that trick? He says, I, I made it up. What was he it? goes, okay. It was a trick where I had them uh, 
I had the host. It was going to be Pierce, but it ended up being Suzanne who sits next to him. And yeah. it was just seating. That's how the, the thing was decided. <laughs> they, we got down. There was like three minutes before I go on. I go, I'm going to do this trick with Pierce. And I go, well, you going to cross over? I go, I can just do it with her. Okay. That's, that's the way it was done. Yeah. I took a deck of cards, gave him a shuffle, gave him a cut, and said, uh, okay, uh, pick, pick a number between one and ten. And she said, uh, two. I said, good. Deal out two piles of two. Just deal them like you would two hands, two hands of two. And then when you dealt out the second one, put your hands around on top. Cover around on top so I can't see the front or the back. I said, okay. I said, okay, under your hands, you've got the uh, king of clubs and the jack of hearts. Now, you think the king of clubs is here or is it here? I'm doing the hard stuff. You do the easy stuff. I said, no, I said, no, I'm doing the easy stuff. You do the hard stuff. Uh, king of clubs, jack of hearts. But she said, this is the king of clubs. And I said, you want to change your mind? She said, no. I said, so this is the jack of hearts. She said, yeah. So you want to change your mind? She said, no. You sure this is the king club? She said, yes. Sure this is the jack of hearts? She said, yes. I said, okay, turn them over. She turned them over. She was wrong. I said, that's why I need teller. We'll be back after this. <laughs> <laughs> that was the trick. <laughs> Invented over a falafel. Love it. At Leon's. Leon's is fast, fast food with a lot of vegan stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think it's Leon's. Yeah. Leonard's, something like that. So then- Right, we're going through this, and then working on the show, and uh, you know, tech rehearsals on Broadway or the West End, the, the breaks and stuff make it a little hard to work. And there's a lot of stuff going on. They're lighting it, and teching it, and videoing it, and you know, Ben and I are trying desperately. You know, Hannah Sharkey, who's the assistant director, Hannah Sharkey, Ben and I are trying to get the magic in place. Everybody cares about the magic. No one's being disrespectful. There's a lot of shit to do. Yeah. And we've got our own little area we're trying to cover. And Ben is so good. We're trying to work it out. So then we get through that day that starts at 6 a.m. And uh, it's now 11 at night. And we go to the right. And Glenn, and Glenn said, I got to talk to you about something. I go, Glenn? Glenn? He goes, uh, Caesars really wants you to do a show without Teller at the, for the Christmas. I go, a show? He said, well, I'm going to try to get him to do like five shows. I go, oh. He said, they want 14. I go, the whole 14 holiday stretch without Teller? And Glenn goes, uh, yeah. I go, oh, I don't know how to do anything without Teller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also really wicked tired. I don't know if you watched Piers Morgan, but... <laughs> Yeah. Tell Caesars I, to watch Piers Morgan. Yeah, just tell them to watch Piers Morgan. We'll be done. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, someone said to me, I got the greatest compliment ever. Greatest compliment ever. Sitting there waiting for the waiting for the van to come to go out and do another show. Yeah. Sitting in the lobby. And this uh, very nice uh, couple about my age uh, come over to me sitting there. I'm reading, I'm reading the Times. Come over to me. And they say, saw you with Piers Morgan yesterday. I'll tell you, he's an asshole, and you're about the best at handling him of anybody. <laughs> we love watching with Pierce Morgan. No one handles that asshole better. I said, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. That is a great compliment. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> they were English. They were. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's the thing. The British have like this, like. It's it's kind of like uh, like uh, me and numerous people who like sports love to hate Duke basketball, uh -huh. right? 
But when they actually have a bad season, it's almost boring and depressing. Mm -hmm. And British people's affinity, like they need Piers Morgan, yeah. right? Like they need that asshole in their life. I was going to say, if there weren't a Piers Morgan, they would have created him. But it's possible they did create him. That's what I, I think yeah. that's very possible. Because <laughs> Piers, uh, whenever you're not on camera, he's, he's kind of sweet and nice and yeah. kind of sane. But you just take this position. And also, he, he actually said sage stuff to me. Uh, which was weird. He's kind of a Trump supporter. Yes. And it was really weird because I said, you know, I like doing the Celebrity Apprentice with him, but I just don't think he'd be president. And Pierce said, yeah, I like him. And I, if I were American, I certainly would have voted for him. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you are the best guest he's yeah, ever had. Yeah. <laughs> that's the most endearing thing he probably could have said. Yeah. I said, yeah, I think, I think we agree completely on this. <laughs> I said, I mean, it's not like I hated being around him on Celebrity Apprentice. He yeah. was just a goofball that I laughed at. Yeah. I just didn't want him as my president. That's all. Yeah. So Glenn says they want you to do uh, 14 shows. We could do, and we wanted to call it Penn and Fellas. Yeah. Penn and Fellas, but we thought that's a little bit disrespectful to tell. That teller would care, but it looks disrespectful to tell. And we can't change the advertising. Right? Right. We can't put up billboards. We don't want Penn and Friends on billboards to let people think there's no Penn and Teller. Yeah. Right? By the way, Teller's doing fabulously. Now he can't come out of his house. Daughters won't let him, but he's doing fabulously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we decide this Penn and Friends thing. And I got to tell you, it's, it was really gratifying. I mean, I don't mean to get all sentimental, but Glenn said, let's keep it Vegas. Let's ask Matt King and Piff if they, if they can do it. Make it really easy. And I said, oh, man, we don't know what we could pay them. We don't know. We have no idea what we can pay them. We don't know how many people are going to cancel or where the money is, what the net is. Yeah, it's to, to be clear, because you couldn't change the advertising and tickets were already purchased. Yeah. People were given the option whether they wanted to attend Penn and Friends or yeah. take a refund and come back another time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they could get their money back simply. So yeah. we had no idea what the money was going to be. We had no idea how the crew was going to be or anything. Right. So I said, I don't know how much we can. We can and, and then Glenn said to me, well, if Mac or Piff asked you to show up in their shows for 14 days, would you? I said, well, yeah. He said, well, then call them. Yeah. And it was so amazing. Uh, so just because, just to clear up where we left off, of course you agreed to do all 14. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> you said five. They said 14. And you said, okay, I'll do 14. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah, that's the way it works at pen negotiations. Yes, my, my negotiations <laughs> always work with, okay, this is what I want. This is what you want. Okay, we're going to do what you want. <laughs> that's my negotiation. Oh, the most work? Sure. <laughs> so uh, it was amazing because yeah. Mac King said yes before I even got half the question out. Yeah. And then Piff was faster. <laughs> and uh, I said, I don't know about money. And they said, well, let's assume it's none. How about that? We start with both of them said that, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Let's assume it's none. That was yeah. their, that was their negotiating position. <laughs> and then uh, Piff said he couldn't do it two nights. Yeah. And Piff said, get Matt. By the way, it was his suggestion first. Yeah, that's uh, that's very. I, I mean, there's no way. Yeah, that's it was it was unbelievable. Like like I kind of like it's so unbelievable that I almost I couldn't tell anybody for like an hour because I was like I can't. This is I shouldn't be telling people I'm going to do this. <laughs> well, anyway, so <laughs> that was one week ago. Yeah, yeah, one week ago. Yeah, and uh, last night we did the show, and uh, I got no complaints afterwards. Good applause. People seem to really like it. Yeah. Went all the way through. You know, uh, you and Mac killed. Did a great job. My solo stuff went well. Yeah. Opened with a two-person fire eating with Georgie and broken bottle juggling. So people that do like Penn and Teller get to see some stuff that they 
hadn't seen, wouldn't see, you know, yeah. hadn't seen in a long time. I also did Stupid, which, you know, is brand new, and Trust, which is fairly new. And uh, then we did The uh, Night Before Christmas, uh, You, Me, and Mac. Last night, such an incredible reaction. We were kind of uh, uh, jubilant. Uh, we had a wonderful card from Teller that said, good luck, Macbeth. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for keeping the home fires burning. Weird, whatever that was he gave us, that weird pinata. Arrangement is the best word I could come up with. It It was a pinata and pickles with eyes Yeah, pickles and with balloons. Eyes. Balloons and flowers with eyes and, and a stuffed animal strapped to the pinata with weird Christmas trees with eyes jabbed into it. Do you know what he was thinking? The artist? I feel like I think Teller found an artist that said, Go wild. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Teller is a micromanager. <laughs> Teller was responsible for every eye and every pickle. It's just Teller's still on drugs. So um, we're seeing we're seeing what Teller would be if Teller were Hendrix. Oh, that's so much more comfortable to think about, actually. That makes it, that makes it make the most sense. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I think, a drug-addled Teller. I don't know. Just a pinata and pickles uh, put eyes on it. <laughs> I, no, that's not, you know, your impersonation of Teller is awful. Yeah. I, I want five pickles. They should be like three and a half to four and a quarter inches long. And I want googly eyes that are a quarter of an inch. I looked at them on the web. I can find quarter inch googly eyes, put it on each pickle and put the pickle on a stick. And then the piñata should be orange, yellow, and red. <laughs> <laughs> I want you the, and I have different conversations with Teller. <laughs> Mine is always as short as possible. <laughs> That's what I love about him. <laughs> if I can talk about something he's interested in, he's very interested, and I have a great conversation. And the moment, the second it becomes tedious, he's gone. <laughs> he's done. He's just done talking to me. You well, know, just it, it's over. You remember the uh, Piff's prayer? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the most comforting about doing the show last night was knowing Teller wasn't there. <laughs> oh God! Please don't let me ever know what Teller really thinks of me. <laughs> the Piff prayer. Yeah. Um, uh, and the show went well. And then I had this incredible experience, which is I had, I was relieved yeah. and happy and gratified. Robbie asked me, what would you consider to be success on this? Which is an important question that I forget. I said to Robbie, I'm really, really worried, really, really worried. And Robbie said, well, what do you define as success? So if you don't dis define success beforehand, you don't know when you've hit it. Interesting. So I said to Robbie, I think wild success would be 400 people a night and people don't hate it. <laughs> and we got 900 people and they seem to really like it. Yeah. So that's wild, crazy success. Yeah. So I was, you know, we sat around backstage jacking each other around. Oh, this was great. This was great. This was great. This was great. And then I got in the car with Moxie to drive home and I had a complete physical depression. It wasn't mental. Yeah. There were no bad thoughts in my head, but holding my hands up to the steering wheel, I found difficult. Wow. And I got home and Moxie was like, oh, talk about the show. And I was like, thank you for coming to the show. <laughs> really? Yeah. And I went upstairs and just took a, uh, a book and just sat down and read and went right to sleep. I was just totally, totally beat. Yeah. The, 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 the nervousness, it just ripped me to pieces. Yeah. Because I was so, so nervous. I thought they were going to go, uh, the whole line's going to stand up together and just say, Ben, 
You suck. Don't ever get in front of us again without Teller, and maybe not even then. Fuck you. We're leaving. <laughs> I thought they were all going to get organized and do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't. It was only like 10 of them. <laughs> <laughs> it was interesting. The audience was kind of like, what's up? It was not like, uh, you know, the other way, the, you know, the movie version is like, everyone goes, we love you, pet, no matter what. <laughs> and they applaud the standing ovation as you come and hit the stage, yeah. you know, thank you for carrying on, yeah. uh, without your there partner. There was not that. That didn't happen either. <laughs> um, they were kind. Yeah. But, uh, they were also skeptical. Uh, they were ta- definitely taking it in. Yeah. And by the time I hit the stage, I was like, oh, these guys are still like seeing a lot of like concentrating faces a lot of both arms up on the armrests, kind of leaning back stuff i looked at saw a lot of that and i was kind of like you gotta you, this is happening guys this show is happening you gotta wake up a little bit <laughs> this is the show yeah we'll do it again tonight yeah i'm excited about it and for 14 days till till january 4th yes uh piff is coming in and then uh it's so me downplaying it i kept saying like yeah piff couldn't do two days so i get, I get to do two days and uh, one of my friends scoffed me. He goes, you keep saying it that way. And I go, yeah. And he goes, you know Penn and Teller know more than two magicians. <laughs> yes. And I said, yeah, I, I do. Um, and from my perspective, it was just a treat beyond. I'm around Foolus. I'm around your television productions. I'm around your mm-hmm. podcast. I'm always a guest around the Penn and Teller show. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a well known and liked guest on the I'm giving carte blanche for sure whenever I'm around to actually get the Penn and Teller crew treatment from the time I walked in the door was such a different experience and it was so cool. They know their shit. Your crew is unfucking believable. Mm-hmm. Really great. Yeah. And there's there to greet me. They talk everyone speaks calmly. No one raises their voice ever. Ever. And they just march it through and the communication was fast. I was Fully teched within like what a half hour. Yeah. Jonesy included at my disposal. Mm-hmm. Jonesy was like, We want to play this, we'll play this. And we just went back and forth. We spoke a creative language that was like so fast. And that's the thing, that's the interesting thing is like, I've been crew managing Piff's tour. Mm-hmm. I know what it's like to walk in with a bunch of mattresses and talk to a crew. Mm-hmm. So it's not like this is, you know, whatever. The vocabulary, the authority, the intelligence that everyone in your crew has that just knocks out the stuff is crazy, crazy good. It's, re- I was like, I couldn't believe it. I walked in, I was so scared to go into rehearsal more than I was to go into the show. <laughs> so I was like, I can't believe I'm presenting my, my weird ass act to these professionals <laughs> who've been doing the world's best magic for 40 years. I'm coming with my baseball cards and my, you know, whatever. I called my wife after and I was more like on cloud nine after the tech than I was from the show. Like I just was like, wow, it was so cool to be in that system from the time I went through all the way through the rehearsal to all of a sudden just showing up in my dressing room was there with my little thing right in the door waiting for me my little set list and stuff little touches that made me feel like a professional and also just the way they operate it was really great good people they're very yeah. very good they're very very good yeah um, we uh you know like i said the fucking new guys 12 years <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly but it's awesome Everybody, everybody's been there forever it is remarkably calm oh yeah and I, I was there being very nervous they were going don't worry we're gonna do it yeah it's fine you know a brand new show never done before yeah. we went up at 901 yeah. Nine o'clock show went up at 9.01. Yeah. So uh, it was good. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, and you know, Piff's coming in Monday. Yeah. And Piff uh, came in with more tech than anybody could possibly imagine. <laughs> he's doing really hard shit. He's got a fucking drone. Yeah. I mean, he's he's doing, he's doing, he's not doing the show he does in Vegas. Yeah. He's doing a complicated show he hasn't done in a while. Yeah. A lot of new tricks and stuff, so. And uh, yeah, it was funny because he was both telling me to go with my strongest stuff for your show. Mm-hmm. 
He's like, just do this, you know, as we're trying to figure out what I was going to do by, for my three tricks. And then he also was trying to get me to do this new thing with a fish. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't tell me that I have to do only my strongest stuff for the Pentel show and then also try out this new thing. <laughs> and the, and, and the, uh, to circle back, the reason why I absolutely didn't do the, the new thing was because of magician's guilt. Yeah. I was like, I know that I could do this a hundred times in rehearsal and nail it. No matter what, the first time I do it on stage, I'm going to do something terrible and it's going to give away the trick because that's what happens no matter what every time I do a trick for the first time. But magician's guilt is so deeply complicated. Yeah. We're working on uh, Magic Goes Wrong. Yeah. Now, Magic Goes Wrong, we're working with um, Mischief Theater Company. Yeah. Okay. Now, we mostly think of that as Henry, Henry, and Jonathan. Yeah. Or Henry Shields and Jonathan, because we got two Henrys in their group, so one of them gets called by his last name. Henry Shields is Shields. Right. And Henry uh, Lewis is Hen. Uh, so we had Hen, Pen, Ben, uh, Hen, Ben, Hen, Ben, Glenn, and I think Jen were all lined up at one place. Uh, so uh, it's really interesting because we wrote these tricks with them. And these are some of the best improvisational and comedy performers in the world. Yeah. They're fabulous. It's like being with Monty Python at their absolute peak. And this show is fabulous. It's already extended uh, through August 31st. Sold out. You know, you got to buy your tickets months in advance. They're so crazy good. Yeah. And they're doing real magic. No kidding. They're doing hard stuff and for real. And the amazing thing is that they are, there's this level of guilt that I can't get out of them. Yeah. So uh, Henry, uh, Henry Lewis has this trick in the show, which uh, shows one card in a wallet. Okay. I have one card in an envelope in a wallet. Do you see it there? Now name any card. Now he's doing it backwards. Right. He's trying to show that they aren't psychic. And they name the card, and it's the right card. Yeah. And he's exasperated. All his tricks are, the audience are doing the tricks. He can't do them. And he's exasperated. That's the gag on it, right? So he's doing this really hard trick where it is the right card, right? And his moves are flawless, and his timing is perfect, right? Everything's great. And he pulls out the card, shows to the audience, and completely steps on and swallows the applause. And this is a pro. Yeah. One of the best performers I've ever seen. But because he feels guilty about having done the move and about doing the trickery. Yeah. Uh, I want to get past he, it as fast as possible. He chokes yeah. back. He chokes yeah. back. And the other trick, he's doing uh, this other wonderful trick, and he goes right on to the next thing. It's not that he wants to get it over with. It's that he's not sure he deserves the applause. Yep. And it's this kind of weird guilt stuff. And it's so interesting that every single person – I've taught magic to or worked with magic to has to deal with that magician's guilt. You had stuff where you're showing stuff in your hand, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, really, really hard. Yeah. I've done things where I've had a palm a gimmick or something like that. And the first time I do the trick, I just, as soon as, as, soon as there's a, uh, an offbeat, a, a weird moment, I just waved the gimmick yeah. to the audience yeah. for no reason. There's, there's, there's a need to confess. It, yeah. And you know, imposter syndrome that everybody yeah. deals with. Yeah. yeah. With, with magic, it's real. Yeah. It's actually real. Yeah, yeah you, you are an imposter. You are an imposter. <laughs> oh, I never uh, thought of it that way. Yeah. So, the, yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's the only time that no one can talk you out of imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, you know, you are pretending to be somebody who can float in the air. Well, yes, I am pretending. I <laughs> yeah, can't float in the air. Am. Yeah, yeah, I certainly yeah. am. And here's what it ties in with, which I think is so interesting. Magician's guilt is on every single person I've ever met. Yeah. And I think I'd love to teach Donald Trump a magic trick. 
Because I bet there's none. I bet there is none also. None whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, that feeling of shame yep. and guilt, and I don't deserve this, yeah. I bet he's never felt it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. <laughs> I just kept thinking that if you had to teach him to do a magic trick, I think it would be the easiest thing ever. Yeah. Because most of what we're trying to do when we're doing magic is we're trying to have confidence in something that's not real. Right. To give ourselves credit. Yeah. For something we didn't do. <laughs> no, and it's true. And like, you know, uh, someone started so late, like I did it. So, so everything that was taught to me, I treat like an actor. I'm just mm -hmm. like, chore just, it's just choreography. Mm -hmm. These are the movements you make and this is your dialogue and you, and this is, and I've been directed to do these, to deliver it this way to get the most maximum effect. Right. And so it's all philosophical. And then you actually do it and you feel the audience give you credit. Mm -hmm. And it's something you can't possibly replicate in rehearsal. Right. And it's going like, oh, you're different. You know, that, that like, oh, something different's happening. Oh, you got me. You know, that feeling comes in and you go like, no, 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 I don't. I don't. I don't have you. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have you. No, no, no. Don't, don't let me no, do that to you. I just palmed it off. No, in no, my no. Hand. It's right here. here. It's right here. It's, right been, here. it's been in my pocket for like half the trick. Yeah. I just, I, I, it's never been in the deck. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they go, that was great. You yeah. go, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't, it's not great. I didn't do it. I, it was a gimmick that I have in my hand. But it's all subconscious. You're like, you're not processing these thoughts. Your body does it. That's yeah. the craziest thing. Your body goes like, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Here it is right here. <laughs> and you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't plan on doing that. I mean, it just shows there's that whole, you know, importance of being earnest thing. Yeah. Where you just say, we, lie, we all lie all the time. Yeah. Okay. We just take that as a given. You know, there's been, that's the plot of everything. What if someone had to tell the truth all the time? Those jeans make my ass look fat. And, yeah. you know, how do you look today? And how are things going? I'm doing great. And Instagram and, and Facebook, we have pictures of our family happy when we're actually fighting. And yeah. all that shit that we talk about does not hit the real deal. The real deal is people do not like to lie. There is something else. Yeah. There is something else with tact and politeness. When we feel in our hearts that we are absolutely lying, the feeling is horrible. Yeah. And that's why when someone comes along that is able to not feel shame and not feel guilt, their power is incredible. You know, most of the cons and the scams are just people lying. That's what bothers me so much about David Mamet's stuff, you know. Yeah. Brilliant writer. Brilliant fucking writer. You have to say when talking about David Mamet, yeah, you've got to say brilliant, brilliant fucking, fucking writer. writer. Yeah. You can't say brilliant writer. David brilliant, fucking Mamet. David fucking Mamet, brilliant <laughs> fucking writer. Yeah. But he has this affection for the con, you know? Yep. And he has this affection for how clever it is. And it's really not the cleverness. Yeah. It's the absolute lack of morality. And I've never seen anyone who, you know, the time I spent with Trump, who had absolutely no shame. Yeah. Now, what I mean by that, he can be embarrassed by what people say about him, and he strikes out in anger. Yeah. But as far as himself, I think there's never been an instant of imposter syndrome with Donald. No, no. I mean, only because you can see the sense of uh, there's no sense of hypocrisy. Like, in other words, like, he can know that he said the opposite of something he said today, yesterday. He can know that and not. Doesn't bother. Yeah, there's no there's Not no a, debt owed on that at all. at all. And I think there's a kind of um, instant belief. Yeah, in whatever he wants to believe. Yeah, it's just uh, it's just remarkable. It's why I don't ever like to use in art or in life 
the uh, the word works. Well, it works. Let's get this. How's it working? Does it work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that works. It bothers me because it seems to ignore uh, all sorts of stuff. What we're finding out with Trump is that never apologizing, always attacking, being rude and cruel, and never admitting you're wrong absolutely positively works. Yeah. It gets the job done. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to ever celebrate that. Yeah. You know, I don't want anybody to say, well, you know, we got to be president doing that. I just want to say, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care what, what, what that is, is wrong. And of course the other side, anything we can do to, to, to take him down. Uh, it's so hard to remember that the other side of Trump are scumbags. Yeah. That's yeah. so hard to remember that they're doing cheesy stuff too. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? And the worst thing you can say about Trump is uh, he's turning his enemies into him. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, I'm listening to um, this the short little podcast series called Raise the Dead, and it's all about the Kennedy-Nixon election mm-hmm. and how much we don't know about it mm-hmm. and how much went into it and all the primary stuff. Oh, so Raise the Dead means like the Chicago voters that were dead and voted? It's actually, uh, oh, interesting. Yeah, uh, uh, probably in the long run. Uh, it was like news uh, uh, news dies, it becomes history. Well, today we raise the dead as the cat. Oh, I see, I see, I see. Oh, yeah. But a lot of dead people voted in Chicago. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is that like he actually draws a ton of parallels between Kennedy and Trump. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's a really, it's, it's there's a lot about it. You know, uh, there's, there's unfortunately a ton of parallels uh, <laughs> about it uh, for people who, who romanticize Kennedy. Well, we don't believe for a second that Kennedy would be romanticized at all if he weren't assassinated, right? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it would have been, I think, uh, in, yeah, I think in the Kennedys as a whole, I think it would have been a really different story, yeah. but we'll never, yeah. What do you mean we'll never know? We intend to go back <laughs> in time and stop the, uh, what about you? You're giving up on that plan? You were just talking about how we were going to go back in time and stop Kennedy from being shot. Remember you were saying that? Now you don't want to do that? I just, I, you know, we can only do, play this card once. <laughs> And I think Hitler's a bigger target. Hitler, Hitler's a bigger thing. I don't know. I don't know. We're, well, we're going to go back in time and do something. Tell you what, listener Paul. Listener Paul. <laughs> Should we go back and actually, you know, all I'm going to go back in time and do is buy Microsoft. Buy, buy, yes. <laughs> That's all you so It's, your time it's all I ever do for time travel. <laughs> and then I'll use that money yeah. to time travel again and take care of Hitler. <laughs> Yeah, so you find out now there's so many parallels between the, the two elections. And you actually referenced the Nixon interview where he talked about how Woodward took him down. Unfairly. Yeah. Unfairly. Yeah, it's actually the book. It's the book RN. Yeah. So that book, and it's just, and, and, and what you're talking about now with your enemies, like this, it's a direct parallel mm-hmm. that it is going to come down to who's hungrier and wants to use the more unfair tactics. There'll be no, there'll be no morally writing of the ship. That's going to change the situation one way yeah, or the other. Yeah, you know, I was, I, we talked to Marianne Williamson, who incidentally I cut off once we were talking <laughs> to her and someone got pissed about that. Yeah. Of course, now I'm getting crazy because one person <laughs> said I cut her off unfairly and, and now I reacted to that one person. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one thing I wanted to Williamson is I want one Democrat to say, boy, if I win, we're going to take executive privilege and take it way down. Yeah. I will not do executive orders. I'm not going to do that. But no one's doing that. They're saying, I'm going to use executive orders to do the opposite. And if they did, it would have moved the needle. Like, that's the thing. It's like, it is about this ugly fight. I guess. It's, but uh, no, it's a shame. And I feel like we had more tranquil times, you know? So we must return to it somehow. But I, now, don't, I don't know what the formula is that, and now that, that happened. It seems very likely 
Yeah. No, not very likely. But it now seems possible in a way I never did before that every time the president and the House are a different party, there's going to be impeachment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it certainly seems like it could go that way. Republicans will certainly do it. Yeah. Just the Democrats will do it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So that asterisk won't be an an asterisk if you're not impeached. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It could be that. I mean, that's- Also, everybody's talking about how Trump will have this asterisk for the rest of his life. It isn't that great. Does it mean anything with Clinton? No. Nothing. I mean- People have their opinions of Clinton one way or the other. Right. I don't think- The fact he was impeached means jack shit. Totally. Jack shit. Yeah. And the fact that Trump's impeached will mean jack shit. Absolute jack shit. Yeah. No, I mean, I think there are a certain amount of people that just think it should happen, you know? Sure. And that, that like, you know, I don't know. This is, I'm elected official. It sure seems like this went down. Mm -hmm. It does feel impeachable to me. That's the way it goes. Mm -hmm. And And that's the thing. That's why it's like- then let the votes fall where they may. Just let everybody be on the record about it. Mm-hmm. If we got to move on, we're going to move on. I, I, I'm cool with all, I, I'm oddly cool with all of it right now, <laughs> which I haven't been in a long time. But I'm like, yeah, we know how it's going to vote. Just do it. Just go through it and do it. Just go through the process and do it. It's crazy. And I'll it tell you, if you were over in England, which I was yes. during the Brexit vote, the last vote they had. Oh, that was crazy. And by the way, I do not know one person in England, yeah. not one person in England, who was in favor of Boris Johnson. Right. Not one person. Not yeah. one person. So to me, who was out there before the vote and talking around, yeah. talking to all the wrong boys and talking to the, you know, my friend Andy Nyman, you know, yeah. actor, great guy, talking to all these people, there was no chance Boris Johnson was going to win. Yeah. I did not know one person supporting him. Boom. Landslide. Yeah. Landslide. Yeah. Just wins. And we went in that day to rehearsal. <laughs> Woo! Oh, wow. Boy, it was just, I came in going, hey, how's everybody doing? Uh, yeah. Fine. Let's, let's get on. Let's yeah. Get on this. Let's just do this. Uh, everybody going, uh, you know, everybody the day before is going, let's all get out and vote. We're going to vote uh, liberal or this other party. To Everybody's doing the strategic stuff. They're planning and rehearsal was like everybody coming in going, I got up at eight, got my polling state, get it all done. And then the next day, boy, it was just bummed city. And I'll tell you, when liberals in the United States are bummed, I can find a little bit of joy. <laughs> um, liberals in England being yeah. bummed, no joy. Yeah, I was just like, oh man, and they were just like, oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is it just awful. seems. That's the thing is like because because we get whatever limited media access, and then yeah. of course if we know British people, they're more mm-hmm. liberal and travel than everything else. Than, sure. Because we, I, I couldn't. I, I don't know a a pro Brexit person. No, you're, you're never going to. Yeah, because you're not going to go out to their Kentucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't been to their Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it's so strange. It's, it's just a strange thing. By the way, I wanted to point out the picture that we took last night of the show. Yeah. Matt King, Matt Donnelly in his overalls. Yeah. It really was Penn and the Hillbillies. It really was. It was Penn yeah, and Fred's yeah, yeah. Penn and the Hillbillies. But I also want to point, I want to talk a little bit about uh, diet and stuff because um, the health span solution, health span solution by Raymond J. Cronice. You know what that is? That's Raymond J. Cronice? Cray Ray. Cray Ray. Yeah. And uh, Juliana Heaver. Is her name yes. Heaver? Heaver. Really Hever. named Heaver? Hever. It is Hever. Ready Rich says Hever, so I'm going to say Hever. Hever. He says Hever. Even though I was I wish just name- willing to bet my life that it was not that. I wish I wish your name were Heavers. <laughs> Me too. Maybe yeah. that's a... Maybe, and you know what? What? Just judging by the way politics works, I'll just say it is. 
and more than half the people will agree with me, and therefore it will be. Yeah, people are saying it's pronounced Heavers. People are saying a lot of people told me it's pronounced Heavers. <laughs> Hellspan Solution by uh, Raymond J. Cronice and Juliana Hever. Yeah, Hoover, 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 Heaver, Heaver. H e v e r. If you look up Cronice, C r o n i s e. Have you got this book yet? Uh, I just got it. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Emily has been cooking a dish from it every night. Yeah. Man, it's really good. The recipes are ridiculous. Really. I haven't read it yet, but the recipes are great and yeah. wonderful. And uh, we know Cray Ray, 788 people have lost 38,162 pounds. And uh, all of that comes, you know, when they read Presto, they're just reading Cray Ray. Yes. But here's, uh, uh, go right to the source and ask the horse. He'll give you the answer that you endorse. Pick up uh, the Health Span Solution by Raymond J. Cronice. Seeing Raymond J. Cronice so makes me laugh. He's like, Wiley Coyote, super genius. <laughs> Raymond J. Crona, he's also known as Cray Ray. Oh, it's also funny playing uh, the- And Julianne and her heavers. <laughs> King over at Piff. I get it too. People come up to me and go like, hey, I listen to the podcast and they tell me how much weight they've lost. Oh, good. It's really so nice. We should add that in. Yeah. But for right now, that was Ben Sunday School. That was Ben Sunday School. Cha-cha-cha. And to You become oh, naked. You know, we don't talk enough about how the endings of this show are also useless and fucked up. That's right. Yeah, we yeah. We have these spaces to talk. We never use them properly. Yeah. We're recording it. It seemed like there was going to be a nice thing that would go in here every time. We kind of sum up the show and do something, but it's just not that. No. Little nugget, little kernel of wisdom. Something. It's just nothing. It's just nothing. Eat food from Equicorp. You know, that would be what would fit in there. You know I love you. Hey, everybody. Jason Ellis here from the Jason Ellis Show podcast, reminding you that my podcast, new episodes every Wednesday, downloadable, where all podcasts are available. Come see my friends, Michael and Kevin, as we talk to you about what's awesome, what sucks, fitness, fighting, parenting, life, spin kicks, LGBTQ community, how to defend yourself against a shock if it attacks you out of nowhere, and much, much more. So come join us.